Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Pond Hunter Broadcast from the Under the Sea Radio Show on Blog Talk Radio. The Pond Hunter, in the pursuit of all things aquatic. Take a look into the world of koi ponds, water gardens, and the lifestyles of the aquatically obsessed. Meet the pros, hobbyists, and cover some no-nonsense pond advice straight from the field. The Pond Hunter, in the pursuit of all things aquatic. Here's your host, koi pond and water garden expert, Mike Gannon. Hey, 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 everybody. How's everybody doing? Hey, what's up, folks? How's it going? Welcome. Welcome to the Pond Hunter Radio Broadcast, coming to you and broadcasting around the world from Blog Talk Radio. The Pond Hunter Radio Broadcast is a radio show for the aquatically obsessed, and we are in the pursuit of all things aquatic. And the show comes to you live Wednesday nights, but you can download it anytime and listen to the Pond Hunter radio broadcast anytime you want. You can listen in the car, at your desk, anywhere. Just go to blogtalkradio.com slash Hunter, and you can listen right there or download it for your listening convenience. You can check it out on iTunes or even connect with me on Twitter where I tweet the shows out. And while you're at iTunes, or Blog Talk Radio, please offer me up a rating or a review. It would be really appreciated, and I'd love to hear from you guys. But uh, remember, you can download these any of the shows from the Pond Hunter archives. You can listen to them on your smartphone, on your tablet, on your smart device, however you want to do it. It's cool with me, and it's easy, easy stuff on these people. But Right now, we're live. Don't go away. You can give me that five-star rating and amazing comments a little bit later because I need to hear right now. This is the real live deal we have happening here, and thanks for being here. Thanks for being a part of this. I'm your host, Mike Gannon, bringing you Episode 17 of the Pond Hunter Radio Broadcast, and I'm very happy to be here with all of you, as always. Very happy to share this October evening with you talking about ponds. Koi ponds, water gardens, fish, plants, natural ponds, water features, everything, anything aquatic. When I say we are in the pursuit of all things aquatic, I ain't kidding. And um, tonight, we have a big show for you tonight. Should be uh, pretty cool stuff that we have coming up. So gather around the radio, turn it up, and listen closely. Tonight will be uh, talking about some really important stuff, some really timely information given that we're in full-blown autumn right now. And I hope you're all enjoying a beautiful fall. Uh, tonight we're going to be covering the what's, how's, when's, and why's of preparing your pond for winter, um, preparing your pond for a successful winter season, preparing your pond so pond owners like us don't find ourselves out there in the cold having to react to winter conditions, which is never really a fun thing to do. And, you know, it's fine when you're reacting to things. It's probably a little bit of emergency situation. So preparation is really important when it comes down to that. And um, being prepared for the winter months is really important. And now's the time of year to do it. So, um, again, this is pretty timely information that we have coming out tonight. 
And tonight we're going to have with us a true pond pro. He's been in the industry for quite a spell now, and uh, he has tons of tips and information for us on how to prepare your pond for a successful winter season. Tom Deke will be with us tonight. Tom Deke is from TRD Designs out of Katona, New York, and he's going to lay it on us. Tom is going to give us the 411 on pond preparation. So stay tuned, folks. And if you want to call in and talk with Tom, we have a question comment, maybe some of your own insight in preparing your pond for a successful winter, then give a call. The number is 914-803-4557. That's the number to call, 914-803-4557. It'll get you on the air to share. 914-803-4557. We'd love to hear from you, and I'll be taking your calls in just a little while. And you can follow along on Facebook as well. If you'd like to send me a message or anything like that, I'll be kind of monitoring my Facebook page. I'd be happy to hear from you, um, however you would like to get in touch. So keep that in mind. And, um, you know, Facebook is just facebook.com slash Mike Gannon, I believe. That's who I am, I'm pretty sure. But um, anyway... What else do we got? Oh, so we're going to be covering all this, uh, the, all this information on making sure that your, your pond is well prepared. And we're going to have another Pond Stars segment tonight. Um, the first season's wrapped up. I'm already having Pond Stars withdrawal. And I have Chris Ostrander from Living Water Landscape coming on with a Pond Star review of the last episode and kind of a season overview. So tonight is pretty jam-packed, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And again, if you'd like to call... I'm going to repeat the number again. The number is 914-803-4557. And uh, please join us on this October evening. It's a cold, rainy night here in New Jersey where I'm broadcasting from, the Pond Hunter Studios. But, you know, so far, this October has been pretty amazing. I think the weather has been, like, pretty perfect. In my area in uh, Jersey, the last few Octobers, you know, they, they've actually had some uh, really, uh, we've had really intense weather out here. And we've been through heavy-duty ice storms, power outages, like extended power outages, which is a whole thing. That that actually should be part of preparing your pond for a successful winter, too, preparing for those type of situations. Maybe have a little generator on hand or something like that. I know I got them now. But um, power outages from the ice storm, we, we had Superstorm Sandy kind of rip through New Jersey and a good part of the East Coast a couple of years ago. Even Halloween has been canceled for the kids for a couple of years. So it's been some really um, <clears throat> extreme weather in New Jersey. So I'll tell you, this beautiful October we've been having so far is, is very welcome. I think the worst experience was was Superstorm Sandy. I mean, that was major devastation in this part of the world. And one of the Pond Hunter videos is actually from a restoration project for a pond that was destroyed during Sandy. So if you guys want to check it out, it's on the Pond Hunter um, video channel on YouTube. And uh, I'll tweet that out afterwards as well. I'll get uh, that show tweeted out if you guys are on Twitter and you want to check it out. Give me a follow if you're on Twitter. It's twitter.com slash or at the Pond Hunter. So pretty easy to find me, not uh, not too complicated. So, again, if you guys want to check it out, um, it was a complete rebuild 
um, just done a couple weeks after Superstorm Sandy had kind of wreaked havoc in this area. So thank goodness for the weather we're having right now. It's been beautiful. No complaints. Tonight, eh, you know, but overall, no complaints. And um, two weeks ago was beautiful October evening. It was a full moon two weeks ago tonight. It was the October hunter's moon. Um, and two weeks ago was also a growing pond and water garden industry event called Shindemonium. And uh, Shindemonium 2014 kicked off under the full hunter's moon. It was really cool. And it seemed pretty appropriate being under the hunter's moon, which traditionally the hunter's moon began the hunting and harvest season, the season of preparing for winter, uh, which we're talking about tonight regarding your ponds. But it was appropriate for this event because it was a gathering of a, a tribe of pond professionals who were preparing their businesses for success, preparing the businesses to keep them alive and thriving in the wilderness of business. And it's a harsh world out there. And, uh, of course, if you heard the last Pond Hunter radio broadcast, you know all about it because the last broadcast was live from Shindemonium 2014. That's right. It was a first for this broadcast. It was an on-location broadcast that came to you from Shindemonium 2014 in the Maryland countryside. Did you guys hear it? I hope you did. I hope you guys are tuning in. It was a very fun show to do, and uh, it was an awesome event to attend as well. It's three days of networking and learning. It was a professional event. So three days of pond pros striving to make their businesses better and more successful, which makes their customers' pond keeping experiences better and more successful, which makes the industry better and more successful. So uh, I kind of left the comfort of the um, state-of-the-art Pond Hunter Studios, and I took the show on the road. Literally, I went down to Burtonsville, Maryland, and uh, I was broadcasting from the Premier Ponds headquarters with more than 100 pond professionals networking and partying just a few feet away from me. It was really a good time. I had a few of the guys from Premier Ponds come on the show. Andrew Lingen gave his Pond Stars review, which was fun to do with Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, Mike Carrillo gave a rundown on uh, what was happening during the event. There was so much going on there. It was it was pretty amazing. Everywhere you turned, there was something going on. So Mike gave a rundown on what was happening during the, the event as far as field operations, like pond construction and stuff like that. And, uh, of course, uh, Steve Schenholzer himself, the owner of Premier Ponds, was, was on giving us an overview of the whole Shindemonian event. Shindemonian is a great name, by the way. It's a uh, professional event. So that was so full of learning opportunities. Pretty much everywhere you were looking at every moment of the day, there was something to take away, whether it was pond construction and equipment installation techniques, rock placement, pond design. And this was taught by award-winning pond designers too. So, you know, I mean, it was high-quality stuff going on. And, of course, customer service techniques, We want our customers to be happy customers. Sales techniques um, to improve your business. And new product sneak peeks from the guys at Aquascapes. There was aquatic plant techniques, networking and learning from pond pros like Chris Wilson from Aquascapes. Kelly Billing was there, an aquatic plant expert. Uh, Tom Reber was there. He's a professional business coach. And Greg Whitstock, the pond guy, star of the Nat Geo Wild reality TV show, The Pond Stars, 
he was there and Steve Schinholzer sharing his business wisdom. It was really a great event. Uh, Pond Pros came from all over the country, and um, it was hosted by Turf Equipment in Maryland, who kept everything really organized, and they fed us great food, too. <laughs> uh, you can hear all about it on Episode 16 of the Pond Hunter Radio Broadcast, live from Shindemonium 2014. Be sure to check it out. And um, thanks to the Premier Ponds guys for... Coming on to the Pond Hunter Radio broadcast, it was really a blast coming to you all from Shindemonium. And if you want to read my review of the event, check out the Love Your Pond blog post, which has the Shindemonium review. And uh, again, if you're on Twitter, I'll tweet that stuff out too, so you can check it out. You can check out Radio Show and anything else that I'm doing. I try to get it out there on Twitter. So check it out and share it. Share it, please. Uh, that was really a good time down there. I looked forward to Shindemonium 2015, um, but way before that. Way before that, I have many cool shows coming up, especially my next show. The uh, next show, um, we're going to be leaving the pond fish and aquatic plants behind for an episode. Maybe not 100%, but pretty much. Uh, we're going to go fully immersed into water features. Yep. On the next show, my guest will be Russ Sitter, who's also known as The Fountaineer, and he's the owner of The Fountaineer. Um, This is going to be a very cool show. It's a show that an aquatically obsessed person should not miss, except for shame. Um, Russ designs and engineers amazing fountains and water features um, that have been installed around the world. And uh, I've been on a little bit of a water feature tear lately, especially after a trip I made to Las Vegas a few weeks ago. There's just water features everywhere. Like major, really cool water features with everything from just light shows and music shows to pyrotechnics to just all sorts of stuff. It's, it's just, it's so cool. And um, I mean, really, in Vegas, pretty much everywhere I looked, there was something. And whenever I go somewhere, everywhere I go, I'm always seeking out water features. And I know I'm not alone, especially if you're listening to this show. I know you're doing it too. And even if it's a little tiny fountain or a pool, even if it's a broken water feature, I just go check it out. It, I guess it really is an obsession. And um, I'm always kind of watching the different water shapes. And I, I wonder who makes these things? You know, who designs this? Who came up with this concept? Who, who, who's doing this stuff? I always want to know that. And then the next show, we're going to learn all about those amazing fountains and water features. This is some really cool um, stuff coming up. Um, amazing things are happening in the, with water feature technology. So I can't wait for the show. The Russ Sitter will be joining me, the Fountaineer, so we can let it all flow. And I can't wait. If you want to visit Russ before the show, check out thefountaineer.com. You can find him on Twitter. Uh, <clears throat> so be sure to tune in Wednesday, November 5th, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, people. Russ Sitter, the Fountaineer, he's going to be here live. Um, you know, it's uh, and I'm, I'm I can't wait. Like I'm really looking forward to that. I love seeing that kind of stuff. There's such cool things going on that we're going to be getting into. I just can't wait. So anyway, enough of that. That's something we all have to look forward to. So um, yeah, what else is going on? Um, did you guys see the last Pond Stars? <laughs> 
it uh, you know, it's so funny that the season has kind of wrapped up. It was really cool to see this show come out. You know, this the the Pana Water Garden industry, like I've said before, has always been a little bit of a sideshow, and with these new TV shows coming out, it's it's front and center. It's actually its own genre now, which is awesome. And uh, you know, it's kind of I'm I'm kind of sad to see that the first season of the Pond Stars has already wrapped up. Like I said, I'm going through withdrawal, but while it's all still fresh in our minds, let's go and do our Pond Star review, and let's do a uh, we'll do a season rundown. And um, yeah, man, Pond Stars tonight. I have with me a friend of mine and a pond professional out of Michigan, Battle Creek, Michigan area. Chris Ostrander from Living Water Landscapes out of um, Battle Creek, Michigan, is with me tonight to do a Pond Star review. Chris, are you on the line? Hey, Mike. Yeah, I'm here. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good, man. How you doing? What's going on? Oh, just uh, enjoying the cool weather up here and uh, kind of getting things ready for, for snow and ice. Oh, man, you're saying those two words already? <laughs> it's getting close. That is not a good sign. How is the weather up there? Is, is it uh, that cold already? Uh, well, we were partly sunny in 55 today, but it was 34 degrees when I woke up this morning. Woohoo! Yep, yep, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, get, we're getting there. That's good. Uh, you guys keeping busy with ponds and everything still, or how's the season up there kind of winding down? Yeah, the season's been amazing, and the installations are slowing down a little bit. Um, we're actually going to Indiana tomorrow for two days to help out uh, another uh, certified aquascape contractor down there. And uh, we are uh, we got a couple projects that we've got to wrap up when we get back. And then all the closings, you know, getting people's plants cut back and getting ready for winter. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's that time of year. What are you doing in Indiana? What kind of, what type of a project? Uh, it's a large pond, I think 30 by 40, uh, four feet deep, and I think uh, 20 or 25 feet of stream. Ah, very cool. That sounds awesome. I hope you guys take pictures and get all that stuff up on uh, Facebook for us to check out. Yeah, we definitely we definitely will. I'm I'm. Uh, Working with uh, Wayne Miller of Premier Aquascapes down there. Okay, sure. Yeah, I've heard of Wayne. And your company, you're up in Battle Creek, Michigan, is that right? That's where you're based out of? That's correct. Tell me about yeah. Living Water Landscapes. You guys, uh, I know you're, you're pond professionals. What, what do you guys do? We primarily now, about 90% of our business uh, is uh, – involved with water features whether it's maintenance and service of water features or the actual installation or renovation um, we started the company eight years ago and uh, we were a full service landscape company at that time we did fertilization and lawn maintenance and shrub trimming leaf cleanup the whole shebang and and now we're about 90 percent water features awesome yeah me too. That's pretty much what I do as well. Um, and your website is um, LWLS. Uh, www. Go ahead. www.lws.net. .net. 
And uh, I was checking out your website. It looks really nice. I hope people go and check it out. It, uh, and I was talking to you. You just had every. You just revamped it. Is that right? We did. Yeah, recently. And I'm still kind of working on that um, and uh, learning more and more about how to manage that more myself. Yeah, it's uh, websites are always a work in progress. But for anybody out there listening, definitely go and take a look at it. Uh, it's a really great. Um, website. You can learn more about Chris and his company, Living Water Landscape. And um, now, of course, you're a Pond Stars fan as well. So you you got to catch uh, the first season of the Pond Stars. Oh, absolutely! I actually uh, I got to go to the premiere party in Chicago too, which was was pretty awesome. So I got to see the last episode uh, two weeks before the first episode aired. Ah. That's cool. And uh, I remember that, that event going on. That was at the Lincoln Park Zoo, is that right? It was, yeah, which is only three, three and a half hours away. So I, I uh, sent a message on Facebook to National Geographic Wild uh, asking if I could get tickets to it. And they yeah. messaged me back and said, yeah, you sure can. Come on over. Ah, that's so cool. Yeah, that it was looked pretty like neat. It yeah. Been a, yeah, I thought a couple people came in from uh, from pretty far away. It looked like it was... It was fun event and probably a nice party too yeah it was it was really a great food and uh the lincoln park zoo is awesome it, we i actually got into town a couple hours early and spent that time at the zoo just hanging out yeah cool yeah it is it's a great place um so what did you think man i mean we it's a, a great thing for i think the industry of course to have a pond and water garden you know just totally focused on that that type of a show we we finally have our own genre of television it's awesome what did you think of the show overall i was pretty impressed with it um you know as a pond guy i kind of wish there was more technical stuff but i certainly understand why they they didn't include more of that because of you know more appealing to the mainstream audience but uh, overall, I love the show. I love that the projects were awesome that they they showcased on there, and it really, uh, I think it'll do a huge thing in turning around the overall look of, of what a water feature is to people. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, people are are not really too aware that water features can look absolutely amazing and can function, you know, at a very high level with a pretty low amount of maintenance, which is what, you know, the show is kind of, I think, turning people onto, which is really nice. And they did um, six episodes this season. And uh, hopefully we're going to be seeing them for a second season and we'll see some more. But um, what were some of the projects that stood out to you during this, this first season of Pond Stars? I really liked the, uh, the trout ponds that they did in California. Uh, yeah, that's that pretty killer. Yeah, that was a, a a really neat thing, and uh, I, I the last episode when I saw it at the Lincoln Park Zoo, I immediately started working, um, trying to get in with somebody at my local zoo. With the uh, man, if you go through my local zoo, the water features in there are all concrete bowls, and uh, yeah. we have a wolf exhibit, a gray wolf exhibit, and so that one I really enjoyed because I'm I'm currently in talks with the with the zoo and trying to get something together and get some water features in there. Oh, that's great. That'd be a really fun project, no doubt. Yeah, that was. That was really cool. The wolf pond, um, the trout pond, 
that, that you'd mentioned. And uh, that, that was an interesting episode um, because it, it, they, they did two projects and they were so different from each other because you had that massive trout pond with the big waterfall and stream and all that stuff. And then there was, I guess I'm, I'm just going to call it a recovery pond uh, for the lady in, um, also in California. I think the, those, those episodes took place in California and she was recovering from cancer and they, they completely renovated her backyard. And uh, they worked on that project with, with a uh, certified aquascape contractor from um, Pro Ponds West, which is pretty cool to see those guys on there. And each one of the shows, if I remember right, pretty much each one of the shows had uh, a contractor brought in to help them out, which is really cool. And, uh, you know, they all got to be featured to to some degree or another. Right, which like is... The, uh... Go ahead. Which is what Greg, yeah, Greg really told us he was going to work towards that, and uh, that was in in they, you know, Aquascapes uses their local CACs too, uh, just on a normal, you know, yearly basis to help them out with different stuff. So it was uh, true to real life, and the fact that they uh, they utilize their guys that they've trained over the years. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I don't know which one was my favorite episode necessarily. I did like the, the episode where they um, I think it was called the School of Rock episode. They did the uh, a, a project for a school um, and got a bunch of teenagers and high schoolers involved with it which is really cool. And then they there was uh, Tony Alcala who actually works for Aquascape. They did a renovation of his backyard and built a really amazing water feature and hardscape. That was really those are really cool projects. Uh, I was you know, really it like a, I was really surprised to find out that Tony didn't have a pond. I know, how dare him. <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with him? I know, oh, I got, know. He, he's got one now. He's got a really he's got an awesome one now. Yeah, I don't know if your listeners know about how much they know about Aquascape, but they do these build a pond days where well, and you probably talked about a little bit uh last week from Shindemonium, Tony and Brian were at the very first Build a Pond Day I ever went to, I think uh, 1998 or 99, something like that. So, yeah, yeah Tony, Tony's been around ponds for a long time to not have one in his yard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got it now. Yeah, he sure does. <laughs> yeah, another um, big hit, I'd say, from the show was the, the Koi Cam, which was um, – they did uh, uh, one of the episodes called Welcome to the Jungle, where they did a couple of projects down in Florida. Um, and uh, that's the one where they had the koi cam in the pond where the people could go in their house and watch their their fish on their own TV, uh, TV set. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that thing is, um, I have one of those, and my kids absolutely love it. So the, the koi cam was a big, was a big hit. And, uh, Anybody that has them now, they uh, they really seem to enjoy them. Yeah. So now that they found the one. Very, yeah, I can't. I don't have one yet. I'm I'm waiting for mine. I'm waiting for <laughs> mine because everybody said the same thing after that that episode. Everybody's like, you got to get a koi cam. And right, like, right. Have to start watching our fish on TV. <laughs> I'm like, you know, <laughs> why don't we just look out the window? Right, anyway, no, I, That's true. I definitely want a koi cam. So the, the last episode of Pond Stars, which I'm sorry to see the season wrap up, but, hey, you know, all good things got to come to an end. Was That was 
called Big Bad Wolf, and you, and you uh, like you mentioned, that was at the Lincoln Park Zoo, and they did a, a wolf pond. And uh, people are probably like, what the heck is a wolf pond? Get, tell me a little bit about that project. What were they doing um, for the, the portion of the, the wolf pond? So I, the, the old wolf pond, I believe, I don't know if it was concrete or not. I, I don't recall that, but it was... Um, it was very high maintenance, kind of like a lot of what we see when we go out on consultations. People, um, we've seen all these different kinds of contraptions, and you know they didn't give much information on how the system worked. But it was basically it wasn't working. Um, they had a problem with leaves in the bottom of the pond, so the water quality was horrible. In the fall, they said that they couldn't even see the surface of the pond because of all the leaves floating on it, and. Uh, so they installed an Aquascapes ecosystem in there. I like that project because um, I, I kind of had a chance. I think David the uh, blocks. No, it was George, and I couldn't pronounce his last name if I had to. But he was he was the contractor helping him, and he was building a skimmer. Um, they were using blocks on the liner, and it was an interesting uh, kind of an interesting engineering thing, a little different from what we normally see. Yeah. George Janowiak, and he was building, I, I guess it's what we just call the, the intake bay, right? I mean, it, it's just a big skimming zone. And, uh, right, I, I guess, yeah. I guess you need it on that size project, and it, it seemed to, to, to function very, very well. It was really cool how the um, the wolves actually responded to the pond once they, they let the, the wolves back into their exhibit area. They They seemed to really enjoy it. Uh, ten or eleven minutes, I think they counted, and they were they were in the water and uh, already enjoying the pond. Yeah, that's amazing. And then the other project was it was a smaller one, but it was an indoor project also at the zoo in their um, in their bird room. What what were they doing there? Uh, they were making a love nest in there. From what I understood, they were they were trying to get the birds to mate, so they were. <laughs> They were they they uh, there was an old concrete feature in there, um, and they used a jackhammer and it was full of re rod. They had to bust all that out, and I think they removed like three or four feet of of soil, and uh, to get just to get their blank slate to start. And I, I if I remember right, I think that's a pondless feature in there with very shallow pools for the birds. Yeah, and that's interesting that that would um, entice the birds to to mate and start reproducing in there. I like that. So uh, I like ponds. You know, when I get around to waterfalls, sometimes I feel a little frisky. There you go. Nothing wrong with that. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that that was a that was a great episode and yeah, the uh the CAC in that was George Janowiak from Gem Ponds. And uh he's actually out in Illinois. So he he was perfect for we're working on that project. It was a, a real local guy. So, yeah, that was that was a great episode. Uh, I'm I'm kind of sorry to see it all come to an end. Um, what did you think of the the season overall? I think they did a great job. I could tell that uh, um, because of production and its TV and the reality show that some of that stuff was written in the, you know, we've known those guys for a long time and had the opportunities to work side by side with them. And, uh, they're, they're very, uh, true to themselves and 
um, they love water features, and I and I like that their personalities got to come out throughout the season, and uh, we, you know, they were they were on the on the show. They were pretty much like they are in real life. Yeah, yeah, they really were, and it was a cool show. It was it was well put together, well edited, nice to watch. You know, the whole deal. I, I hope it uh, gained enough traction that we get a season two out of it. And that, I guess, we're going to have to wait and see. And um, if they do, I hope you'll come back and do another Pond Stars review with me. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on tonight and taking the time out of your schedule to spend a few minutes and go over the Pond Stars with us. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. And I uh, love your show. And uh, and it was, it was great talking to you. Thanks, Chris. You too. Thank you so much. You have a good evening. And I will, I'm sure, catch up with you soon. All right, very good. Have a good night. All right, you too. Have a really nice night. That was Chris Ostrander from Living Water Landscape out of Battle Creek, Michigan, everybody, calling in for his Pond Stars review. Thank you, Chris. And um, let's see, we have some announcements I want to do. The IPPCA is having its ninth annual, ninth annual Pond Attack for Humanity. It's going to be held in Phoenix, Arizona, just prior to Infotanza. Uh, the Pond Attack event is Saturday and Sunday, November 15th and 16th. In Botanza, will be November 18th and 19th. And this year's Pond- humanitarian Pond Attack project is going to be built at the Virginia G. Peters Center in Phoenix, Arizona. And it's going to be coordinated with the Wounded Warriors Project, which I think is really cool. They're going to build a therapeutic water feature for the Virginia Peters Center. And uh, you guys, you can come and work with some of the country's leading pond installers volunteers, and wounded warriors at this Pond Build event. If you want some more information on it, contact the IPPCA. Their phone number is 770-592-9790, or you can go to pondatatsforhumanity.com. And uh, that's happening in Phoenix, Arizona this year. Um, And, again, Infotanza is an event for pond professionals, November 18th and 19th. It'll have some great guest speakers and networking with other industry professionals. And for information on Infotanza, go to www.ipca.com. And uh, what else do we have? The Kleinholz Koi Farm Second Annual Koi Harvest is coming up. They are in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Saturday, November 1st at 11 a.m. November 1st is the harvest of Nisai. And those are one- to two-year-old koi. And then November 2nd will be the harvest of Samsai and Yonsai, which are two- to four-year-old koi. So you have two days of koi harvesting. So uh, there can be some pretty big koi being pulled out of the uh, Samsai and Yonsai ponds. And um, the harvest and the fun begins at 10 a.m. on November 2nd. Dress for the weather, folks. That's Kleinholz Koi Farm's second annual harvest. These events look like a lot of fun. I've never been to a koi harvest, but it is certainly on my list of things to do. And um, remember, any clubs, groups, associations, organizations who have events coming up that they'd like announced, I'm happy to help out. Let me know if you have something coming up. Send me a message, send me an invite, and I'd be happy to announce it on the air and try to get the word out for you guys. And um, I have some shout-outs, too. So I want to send my shout-out this week to Turf Equipment and the guys from Premier Pond, Steve, Mike, Andrew, and Nick, you guys put on a great event. Thank you guys for a great time. And um, it was really awesome down there. 
And I want to give a shout-out to Jason Turpin from Turpin Landscaping and Pond Source. Jason and his company recently donated $15,500 to their local food bank. I think that's amazing. I think it's awesome. They, they raised the money with their annual water garden tour, which is the Brandywine Valley water garden tour. That's a water garden tour I would love to see. Turpin Landscaping and Pond Source, they operate out of Coatesville, uh, Pennsylvania. Great job, guys. Congratulations. That is what the Water Garden Lifestyle is all about. Just amazing. You can visit them at Turpin uh, Pond Source. I'm sorry, TurpinLandscaping.com. So um, coming up, we have a word from our sponsor, folks, and Tom D. from TRD Designs is going to be coming on right after that. Tom has some tips on preparing your water garden poi pond for, <coughs> excuse me, a successful winter. If you want to talk with Tom, give a call, uh, 914-803-4557. Stick around, and we will be right back. Do you love your pond? Full-service aquatics, water garden, and koi pond experts can give you a pond you can live with. Full-service aquatics, an award-winning water garden, koi pond, and water feature design and installation firm has been creating amazing aquatic environments since 1995. Got waterfall? Full-service aquatics can make your old waterfall or pond look like new with our waterfall, koi pond, and water garden renovation and repair services. Visit FullServiceAquatics.com or call 908-277-6000 to speak with a full-service aquatics pond professional today. That's FullServiceAquatics.com or 908-277-6000. Full-Service Aquatics, a pond you can live with. Visit LoveYourPond.com. A pond you can live with. You know, ponds change lives, and we are in the business of changing lives, one pond at a time, fullserviceaquatics.com. Um, you know the show is for people who share the passion of keeping ponds and water features. It's a show for people who have some sort of aquatic obsession, whether it's a water feature like fountains or waterfalls, aquatic displays, water gardens, patio ponds, fish ponds, um, koi ponds, or ponds with koi. Through this show, I'm trying to bring you the best information I can, information that I base not just on what I read, hear, and listen to, but based on 20 years of field experience directly dealing with ponds and water features. In my day-to-day life, I'm a troubleshooter. I'm a problem solver. I'm the guy who gets called in when fish are dying and when, or when things are going wrong, and I have to make them right. That's what I do. I always create amazing pond and I also sorry, create amazing environments for people with their ponds. And I try to present accurate, real information that you, the listener, can apply and use and share. And I'm sharing with you what I know works, what I have seen and personally witnessed works, not what I think might work or what my cousin's neighbor's kid said works. You all would be surprised at how often my advice gets overruled by my cousin's neighbor's kid and I'm trying to cut through the abundance of bad or gray area information or biased information that's floating around and asserted on the Internet. But remember, there's no advice, mine or otherwise, that's 100%. There is more than one way to manage a successful pond, but many people out there will try to make you think that it's their way only when that's just not the case. So the things discussed on this show may work in one part of the world, may not work in another part of the world. Um, 
They may work on Mr. Jones's pond, but not work on Mrs. McGillicuddy's pond. So tonight's show is <clears throat> on preparing your koi pond water garden for the winter months. And this is great information for pond keepers in areas where the weather gets cold. And um, so if any of you listening have questions about what's discussed on the show, feel free to contact me, call into the show, or even bet, better yet, give your local pond professional a call. Um, you know, the service techs from Full Service Aquatics have been, have been busy for a few weeks now uh, with our winter prep services. And my company begins winter prep services for our clients in October. Rain or shine, we're out there providing professional services for our clients so they can continue to enjoy their ponds for the rest of the season and have a great winter season, too. And uh, my company is based out of New Jersey, which is about Zone 6 area. And uh, pond keepers in Zone 6 and higher have to change up their pond management from time to time. And now is one of those times. Um, there are adjustments that need to be made for the oncoming winter. Pond keepers in warmer areas might not have to change up how they're doing things very much at this time of year. Um, so tonight will be some interesting insight into what us northern pond keepers have to go through to keep our livestock and our plants healthy during the winter. You'll get to hear about things we need to do to keep our equipment properly functioning. My guest tonight knows all about these types of services. His business is located in Katona, New York, which is also in his own six area. So Tom offers professional pond services, services to his clients, and tonight he is with us. If you'd like to talk to Tom tonight, you can give a call, 914-803-4557. And uh, Tom is the owner and chief designer of TRD Designs. He brings 25 years of professional experience with him or more. Tom knows water features enhance any property with beauty and tranquility. Tom uses his inspiration from nature to artistically create a natural ecosystem backyard paradise, and he provides a professional approach to every project. and takes a personal interest in the long-term viability with support services to his clients. Uh, he's a very well-respected Tom professional. I'm happy to have him with me here tonight. Hey, Tom, are you on the line? Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm doing very well. How are you doing, Tom? I'm good. Am I coming in clear? You're coming in just fine, no problem. Great. Thanks so much for, for coming on. How are you doing? Good. My pleasure. My pleasure. Always my pleasure to be associated with you, my friend. Oh, well, thank you. You're very kind. <laughs> Not if you're on the golf course, though. How How is your golf game today? Well, my golf game wasn't so great today, <laughs> Uh-oh. but it was better than the CACs I played with in Michigan. How about that? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, if you were associated with me on the golf course, you would not have had a, a very good day either. So, oh, well, what can you do? <laughs> well, it's so, funny. Um, while, I was, while I was on the course today, I happened to notice some of the ponds, uh, retention ponds, and uh, uh, I felt kind of sad for a lot of these environments that um, I know there will be a lot of fish loss because of the lack of care that goes on uh, in the public areas where ponds are, uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, private homeowners who really uh, know that pond care for the winter starts in the fall. 
And uh, we're seeing kind of a lack of that today and knowing that once winter hits, it's extremely hard to take care of your pond for the winter months. Yeah, I mean, winter sneaks up on people like that. And, you you know, you can have decent weather where you're, you're like, ah, you know, I'll just get to it next week. And then it's like winter just hits and you're you're stuck inside or it just gets, you know, the conditions are such that you can't really do much with your pond. And then you're, you're in a, you're in a bind, basically, if, if you don't prepare for those kind of things. Oh, exactly. If, if you don't have a chance to do the number one thing, and that's get all the organic matter uh, out of the debris out of the pond, that's really the one factor that's really going to injure the fish over the long-term uh, winter months. Um, you know, you need to be able to have a, an environment where there's not a lot of uh, chance for that organic matter to cause problems for the fish. So that yeah. needs all. To, that really needs to be removed. That's really the number one thing to do for winter prep for a pond is to uh, keep all that again. You know, cut back all your plants, your marginals, uh, sink your lilies down uh, below freezing, and um, remove as much organic matter as possible. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, and you know, you create a lot of amazing ponds and uh, water gardens, water features. You guys do a lot of stuff, actually. You you do plantings and decks and patios and and all sorts of amazing landscape um, projects. Are are you guys and you do the surfaces as well? So what you're talking about doing, um, you guys, your your clients right now are, are getting services to prepare their ponds for winter. Well, we actually haven't even started our winter closings yet. I like to keep. The water features, whether it's a pond or a pond list or a fountainscape, I like to let my clients enjoy them as long as they can possibly enjoy them. And hopefully that's just around Thanksgiving time where a lot of family is at houses and they really can sit back and enjoy uh, the water features still at that point. Now, we have had, you know, a few years, even a few years back, where we've had those October 31st snowstorms. So it's killed Halloween yeah. for the kids, but it's also killed us in the industry because, uh, you know, I think the last one we had, that snowstorm, we had snow on the ground here in Zone 6 up in New York until probably two weeks afterwards, and that really, really set us back as far as uh, our maintenance schedule. But normally, and I'll say normally, and hopefully we have a normal year, um, we really like our homeowners uh, to enjoy their water features right up into Thanksgiving, and then it's a mad rush for us to get things closed down. For those who close it down, whether you're closing it down or you're not closing it down is a personal decision um, uh, based on, you know, basically, for me, I always tell people, if you do not have a generator, uh, do not run your uh, water feature over the winter. Uh, if you have a generator yeah. and you can, you know, because we've had those periods of times where you really need to um, have power, you can, you know, you can have some really big issues if you don't have a generator keeping uh, your water feature moving if you have no power. But um, in saying that, uh, you know, for those who close down, it's also a sense of security as well that there can be no problems. So... Uh, right. But I do like I do like to keep them open as long as possible, and I like to open them as well in the spring as soon as I possibly can. Yeah, you know I I think when it comes to winter preparation, that that's actually one of the the biggest questions, or maybe even the main question 
um, before you start even getting anything else is do you run your pond or don't you run your pond during the winter time? Um, you know, and like you said, it is kind of a personal choice of the, you know, the pond owner. Um, I tend to encourage people to run them. Um, you know, a lot of that has to do with the fact that I install, we install systems that, that can run year-round. Of course, you know, you've got to be careful with extreme weather, single-digit weather, stuff like that. But, um, you know, given general uh, conditions, they should be able to run year-round really without too much issue. What do you recommend for most people as far as whether to run or not run their ponds? Wow, that's a real tough one. Um, I've had clients that run them um, through the winter, and I've had clients that have decided to shut them down. Um, the same client can sometimes choose to, you know, run one year and shut down another year. Um, a couple things yeah. to, you know, consider. One is cost of running your system, of course. You know, that, that can be a, a factor for some people. Um, uh, the other thing is, um, you know, the sense of beauty that you get in running a water feature with all the ice formations and the, I mean, it changes every day. Just the sheer beauty of a water feature, a waterfall and, and the ice formations is, it's breathtaking. Uh, to see, yeah. and, and especially at night when things are lit with the lighting that we, you know, the uh, LED lighting that we use. Uh, so, that oh, yeah. you know, it's a tough decision people need to make. And um, still, I think a lot of it revolves around uh, a sense of security and whether you have a backup uh, a, a generator. Um, yeah. Here in the Northeast, anyway, I think, you know, we can get so cold that you can have some, you know, really bad things, uh, you know, pipes freezing. And I, last year we had a water feature with two broken two-inch check valves. And yeah. we've never had that before. This water feature has run ever since its inception back in uh, 2008. And last year was the winter, the worst I've ever oh, seen up here. And that, well, that was two, two check valves that uh, totally fr uh, froze which I've never seen yeah. before, but so things can happen. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's, I'm sure you deal with all types of ponds and all types of systems and some ponds need to be shut down. There are some filter systems and other ways of constructing ponds that you just, you cannot run them year round. So of course you're going to advise your customers, Hey man, you know, you, you need to shut it down. Um, I, I always also, think that, that that also is a concern with how the pond is constructed or the water feature is constructed. If you have um, uh, if you have a lot of edges that uh, if you get ice buildup may overrun the edge of the pond, then next thing you know, you come out and there's no water left because it's frozen and the water hasn't gone down the you know slope and into the basin or into the pond, then it's overrun the pond because of some ice damming, that can be an issue too. So I think keeping it open also depends on how your pond is constructed, how your water feature is constructed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I'm seeing ponds that have bead filters, canister filters, box filters, UV systems, yeah. to me, those, those cannot run you around. I, I no, never you... recommend that for anybody. No. Shut it off. I, I love I love the biological filter filtration uh, uh, filtration that we have. Uh, I try to incorporate that in almost every water feature we do. But listen, you know yeah. the bottom line is when you're when you have a uh, water feature, um, you, there's still uh, 
a number of check a checklist that you really need to go through before you head into winter, and it really starts in the fall. And a lot yeah. of it, a lot of it, uh, based around you know keeping the organic material out of the pond, um, and uh, you know again as I said before, cutting back your your marginals, um, you know also um, changing for the fish for the koi especially just changing your uh, your fish uh, food to a um, wheat germed uh, food, uh, right. cold water using a cold water bacteria. So you're still getting some organic breakdown with the bacteria as the pond, uh, you know, goes towards 50 degrees. Um, right. You know. And it's, you know, before we get to the, the fish and plants and stuff, I think if once we've decided that we're going to run a pond or a customer is going to run their pond for the entire season, um, I think it, what is a, an important step in preparing them for that is the just doing the maintenance of their equipment. So let's right. let's talk about preparing pond equipment for the winter a little bit, and um, let's start with like with the heart of the system, the pumps. Um, if somebody, what is the typical process that somebody should look at doing in preparing their pumping system for uh, for winter time? So if you're going to be shutting your pond down, you're going to be removing your pump, and you're going to be also removing you know your filter pads and. Um, uh, you know, cleaning them out and storing them for the winter, but taking your pump out is crucial. That uh, that you really need to uh, take your pump and probably put it in something like a five-gallon bucket of water to keep the seals from drying out over the winter. A lot of people don't do that, and uh, the seals uh, uh, get dried out, and the pump is never the same after that happens. Uh, so if you're yeah. going to remove your pump, um, you know. You really do need to uh, put it uh, in se- inside where it's not going to freeze. Put it in a garage. Put it in a five-gallon bucket. Keep it uh, keep it wet for the winter. And then I suggest that you, uh, if you're going to do that, you still need to be able to then uh, put in the pond something that's going to recirculate some water. And that would be something like uh, we use the Aquaforce. We keep it on the upper levels of a pond so that moves the water. Uh, it doesn't stir up the water down below where the fish like it to be calmer, uh, so it's not yep. drawing and changing temperatures from down below. It's kind of just keeping everything moving up on the top and keeping it open. Uh, so we okay. really like to use the Aquaforce to that. But, you know, um, you do need to remove that pump, and I would now suggest somebody... pulling the filters out. Okay. If somebody's going to run their their system year round, if you have a customer who does want to run it and wants mm-hmm. to enjoy it during the winter time and and have that experience of just the, the dynamic beauty of of a pond during winter, um, I, I would probably suggest that they're they're cleaning and maintaining the intake areas on the pumps because you can get that build up, uh, you know, at the intake and uh, especially if your pump has screening or sponges or something on it because um you know some people do use those kind of pumps that. It'd be really important to make sure your pump intake is nice and clean going into the winter time. Um, now, if somebody has an external pump, Tom, can they run those year-round? Do you recommend that? If, I, I would if not that recommend that. I, I think an external pump or an external filtering system uh, is just um, a, a problem just waiting to happen. Um, I would not suggest that. Okay, so they should be disconnecting those and draining those and uh, winterizing the equipment. What about oh, um, if somebody is is running their 
their uh, system year-round and they have a submersible pump, do they have to worry about the, the pump freezing up at all because of weather conditions? For a, well, it really depends on how deep their pond is. Um, you know, typically here up in Zone 6, we're not going to get more, more, you know, at a really bad winter, what are we going to get possibly 9 or 10 inches of freeze on a really bad winter? But um, a submersible pump, if it's down to 2 feet, you should be fine. Um, okay. But, but uh, you know, you may look at that, that differently. I'm not sure. We don't really have um, a lot of applications like that. Um, most of our pumps, and I try to create our um, vaults and our um, uh, our pumps uh, down in a um, area that it's two and a half to three feet. I just like that extra sense of uh, depth. Uh, even though the pond level may be at two feet, we like to put the uh, filter, you know, the pumping area down, you know, below that. And I know that we're absolutely uh, fine using that depth, and it's never going to freeze to that point down there. Okay. Let's say somebody uh, is going away during the wintertime. They're taking vacation. Can they just unplug their pump, or do you think it, they run the risk of, like like you have seen, burst check valves and, and problems with the pipes? Well, again, I think that's um, it really depends on the construction of the water feature um, and how right. far down that pump is. I've seen pumps that have stayed in all winter, and I've seen them come out fine. And I've uh, I've seen very few, though, uh, that haven't come out fine, even because we don't really get that freezing down to the level. If a pump is down at two feet, we really don't get that amount of freezing that's really going to cause da- damage to the pump. But I still think it's a good idea just, just uh, to get in the habit of pulling your pump if you're going to shut your feature da- water feature down. Okay, yeah. Now, what about um, skimmers? I mean, that's that's such a an important filter component. How do you recommend preparing your skimmer or maintaining your skimmer going into the winter season? Uh, shutting down or keeping open? Uh, keeping it open. Just what what type of general maintenance would somebody want to do on their skimming? I think you'd keep your aerator and possibly your heater right near your skimmer opening to make sure that that does not freeze where the intake of water is going to be coming into your skimmer. So either your aerator or your heater or both uh, should be close to that opening. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, that's that's a really good tip. And I think when if when people are getting ready for the winter, you know, the skimmer is a, is a place where a lot of accumulation of debris happens. So, you know, I, I would say you know, make sure your your netting is nice and clean, your your brushes and your sponges just give everything a really good clean out. And uh I'm sure you've noticed that at the bottom of a skimmer <laughs> you get that muck that, that can build up and you know, in mine my my pond is right under an, an oak tree, so I get acorns that build up inside the skimmer. So we always try to give those a really good clean out. So that stuff which is kind of hidden from sight. Sometimes people don't really think about it but but you don't want what you were saying about accumulating organics. You want to make sure that stuff is not stuck inside your skimmer um, for the winter time. Exactly. Uh, just because it's winter, if you're going to keep your system open, doesn't mean that you don't have to open that lid and still clean that basket, uh, because there's yeah. going to be debris in that basket, uh, and you really do need to keep that clear. 
um, to make sure that there's no holdup of the amount of water that's getting to the pump, you know, so keep your flow uh, correct. Yeah, yeah, that's really important. And uh, a funny little side note, when uh, people are going into their skimmers, especially once we start getting into these colder months, don't be surprised if you find a frog sitting on top of your, sitting inside your skimmer. <laughs> they, I'm uh, sure you've seen two. that. Yeah, yeah, they like to uh, kind of congregate inside there. I think it's that pocket of warm air, uh, warm warmer air that they're that they're going for inside there. Mm-hmm. It's pretty funny. I, my guys, uh, every once in a while, I hear a little scream because for whatever reason they're pond professionals, but they they're scared of frogs. And I'm like, aha, uh-huh, okay, they just found a frog. <laughs> I've never heard of that before, but uh, if you're going to be in this business, you should be. Uh... Not afraid of frogs. Yes, they're they're nope, going to be nope. at your pond before you're done building it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then from the skimmer, you know, everything goes around to to a, a biofilter. Um, I use a lot of biofalls. I know you do too. What's the kind of maintenance process for a biofalls uh, when you're heading into winter? What do you recommend people do to prepare those? Well, again, that's another filtered area. You know, you have a, a, a biofalls filter that um, should be either kept clean or, in some cases, removed. Uh, since you have less debris, hopefully moving through the system, um, you're looking for an area that's not going to clog up. You want as much movement from the bottom to the po- uh, from the top to the bottom as possible. So, uh, in my, in a lot of the clients that we have will just take that pad right out. Uh, sometimes we'll even take the uh, charcoal um, out as well uh, so that we have as much quick movement of water from top to bottom as possible. Okay, that's a good tip. So the, the big sponges um, or the the mechanical filter material that you have inside your biofalls should be taken out, maybe just cleaned up and put into storage, possibly to use during the spring. Or you may want to, if it's not in good shape, it's a good time of year to throw that stuff out too and uh, sure. order some new filter media. Right. And, again, you know, that's sitting pretty much right up at uh, the very top. You know, it's up close to the air temperature, and it's around where, you know, ice buildup is around the edge of the biofalls. Um, so uh, is it a possibility that it could get, you know, layered over and um, dammed up? Sure it is. So it just depends on the construction again and whether you have um, – you know, an open biofalls, or do you have something with a cover over the top of it may make a difference in that. But I like to take out the pads itself. I like to take out that filter so that we don't have any uh, possibility of that, you know, freezing up. Uh, it has been a few. T- it's been a few years since this has happened, but I've had to go out a few times during the middle of the night just to loosen things up um, when we've been down consistently at you know four or five or uh, 10 degrees below zero some nights, and that's happened uh, where you start to get, even though you have a heater and you have an aerator, you still have that amount of buildup that you're starting to uh, getting some ice buildups that's going to move the water outside your, you know, your envelope. And that can be a problem if you're, especially if that happens at night. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You don't want to drain your pond overnight. That is not nice to wake up to. Um, we deal with many different types of ponds. Um, so on a lot of times I'll see people who are using UV systems, the ultraviolet systems. Um, 
I don't think those should be kept out all winter. What, what do you? How do you um, think people should deal with those once we get to this time of year? Uh, no, the UV lights should come in. The bulbs should come in. Um, it, there's no reason for the. They're, they're really not pro- providing you any type of a beneficial, uh, uh, you know, service at that point. So they're not really uh, something that's working for you. So you might as well go ahead and uh, uh, pull them inside. Um, uh, you know, re- remove the unit, not just the bulb. Uh, you know, the pressurized filters can crack. Um, uh, even the ion clarifiers, I, don't, I think they should come in. Um, the all-in-one type of filtration units, those should come in. Um, you know, things like that, uh, as well as your pumps, um, really should come in for the winter. Yeah. All those things should be removed and completely drained. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I've even made the mistake of not fully draining um, UVs or even little canisters over the last 20 years. I mean, it's bound to happen. And, you know, they always break. They always crack. So um, people got to really drain those completely. And what makes it easy this time of year to deal with those those type, uh, that type of equipment is, is, planning for it on the front end when you're constructing your pond. Um, a lot of people get these UV systems, they put them in line, and they don't really think of, hey, you know, six months from now, seven months from now, i got to take this, i got to remove it. So I would even recommend using union fittings when you're installing the UV so you can take them out really easily and just yeah. connect those lines right back together and keep on um, running your system. And you, right. you mentioned ionizers too, which is another type of algae control. Um, this, and you, you feel that this is a good time of year to unplug them and remove them. I do. I don't. You know, they're not really going to provide much of a benefit for us over the winter. Um, I think the units themselves will last longer if they're brought in, and then you can rehook them back up in the spring. But I think it's just uh, you know a sense of security that. Um, uh, you have components that are outside that um, are open to the elements, and um, uh, they're harsh elements some years, very harsh, uh, as last yeah. year was. So, you know, to be on the safe side, it would take those uh, iron clarifiers in, and uh, as well as those filters and the UV clarifiers, things like that should just come in. You know, for another, people who, another thing, uh, Mike, that's another thing that's really important. Um, uh, it, that makes a big difference is, um, you know, when you have aeration stones in the pond or the dip, you know, the big plates that uh, are used for aeration, those really need to move, be moved from the uh, from the bottom of the pond where we want them during the growing season to the upper parts of the pond. Um, you know, you really don't want to be moving that lower water, as I was saying before. You want that to be yeah. nice and calm. So moving your aeration up to the upper portions of your pond uh, will make a big difference on how, you know, your fish are settling into that nice calm area uh, where they're, you know, in um, hibernation. Right. You know, um, and going back to the ionizers, what when people are running those during the season, you know, you're not going to use it during the winter, but a lot of people aren't familiar with the ionizer. What what are those used for? What does the ionizer do for the pond? Well, the ionizer is just another method of reducing algae. Um, so it uh, pr- pretty much prevents the uh, b- 
buildup of algae. It's a uh, uh, an ionizer is uh, uh, you know throwing. And maybe you can even explain this better for me because it's a very kind of topic that is not the easiest to explain normally. But it's a a, a release of a the ion that is going to help reduce the the makeup of how an algae uh, cell uh, builds. And, um, you know, um, we've been using them for years. We've seen some good um, success with them on some years and some years less, um, as you can have a lot of, you can have a big algae year and a not-so-big algae year. But the ionizer is uh, uh, something that really can reduce the amount of buildup of algae that happens in your pond. Okay. Yeah, and I, it it targets string algae. So if people are looking at utilizing those for green water conditions, they're really not going to get any performance out of it. And uh, it's like what you said. It just releases a low level of uh, copper into the water, which algae just can't handle it. So it, it dies, which is a good thing. Now, there's a probe in there. So when you're taking it out for the wintertime, that probe usually gets uh, some scale building up on it. And you can... You can brush those probes, clean them up, dry them off, and like you're recommending, put them away for the winter because they really aren't going to offer you too much um, algae control during the winter months, and all you're really going to be doing is wearing down that copper probe, which they can, you know, to, to replace them, you don't want to really have to do that or pay for that more than once a year. And if you clean it, dry it, put it away, springtime comes around and you, you put those in on your nice clean pond and it helps to control algae all season long. Um, mm -hmm. I know we don't deal a lot with these, but, but I think it's, we need to talk about it because there's listeners out there who do have these pieces of equipment, which is the bottom drain. So the bottom drain, is there anything, do you deal with those at all as far as uh, the winterizing of ponds? You know, we don't have a single system with a bottom drain. That's not really in our method of construction. Um, yeah. I you know, it's. Um, I know it's been around for a long time, and I know it has its benefits, but it's not yeah. something that we're really familiar with. Um, uh, so I can't really answer. I can help you on that. Yeah. I don't do bottom drains personally either because it's just, uh, I think on paper the bottom drain is a, is a good concept. And you're right, it does have applications in the pond industry. In my opinion, they're better suited for concrete ponds or really for breeders and uh, retailers and, you know, guys who are, who are selling fish or breeding fish. That's where a bottom drain can really come in handy. I, I think in the typical backyard pond, especially in areas like ours, um, we get a lot of debris that can get into a pond. So the, the bottom drain to me represents a liability in many ways. Um, I'm not a big proponent of using them, but what I do recommend for people that have them is that it's time to actually turn off the feed from your bottom drain. You don't want to keep drawing water down through that uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, if it gets clogged up, you need to get down to the bottom of your pond to unclog it, which is a big job. And pond professionals love working, but they're probably not going to want to dive to the bottom of your pond during the middle of winter to unclog your bottom drain. So I'd recommend, you know, taking the bottom drain suction offline and uh, not really dealing with it during that time of year. But another thing is that it circulates water from the bottom 
to the top of the pond, and you touched on that with the aeration advice, you don't want to take that bottom water and move it to the top of the pond during the winter time. During the rest of the season, it's good, uh, but not during the winter time. So for people who do have bottom drains, let's turn them off um, and not utilize them during the winter because if you do have an issue, boy, is that just the wrong time of year to have to deal with the bottom drain issue. It's never any fun dealing with those. I don't recommend using them. I know you don't recommend using them uh, for typical backyard pond install uh, applications, but the aerator, which you talked about earlier, is a very important piece of equipment. And um, let's let's touch on that again. You were recommending, as far as the placement of the diffusers, what were you saying about that? What do you recommend doing with the well, aerator? If you have a if you have a skimmer, then the uh, aeration should be near the skimmer to keep that that hole open by the skimmer, um, as well as a um, a heater, you know, just to keep a hole open there on really bad, uh, you know, freezing uh, winters, like we had last year. Um, my aerator alone last year would not have done the job. Um, we had ice buildup over the bubbling area. Uh, so the gases were being kept inside the pond area, not being released. Only with the uh, addition of the heater element was it able to keep it warm enough to keep that hole open in the ice, and that's critical, absolutely critical. Yeah. So, yeah. hey, just to touch a bit back on the ion gen. Listen, the ion yeah. gen is um, simply just, uh, you know, it's a calculated mixture of copper ions. Uh, and it releases that uh, a path flowing into the water. And that basically is going to be um, uh, reducing the string algae uh, dramatically sometimes, um, uh, you know, in the pond. So that that's a uh, kind of a, a copper ion uh, way, uh, way of, um, you know, breaking down algae and reducing the amount of algae that, um, you know, string algae that will occur in a pond. Uh, just to touch back on that. Um, yeah. But listen, there's no question about this. If you don't have your aeration in your pond and it freezes up, the gases are going to build up, and that's a really bad bad thing for the fish. Uh, you re have to keep a open hole. Uh, that Gases have to be released, and um, uh, putting that near the uh, – if you're going to run your pond, you're going to put that right near your – uh, skimmer so that uh, it also is keeping uh, the skimmer wide open to draw water into the skimmer for the pump. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's kind of a multi-purpose piece of equipment um, during the winter, all year round, but especially during the winter time. And uh, you had said that typically during the height of the season, when we're all enjoying the warmer months, the diffuser for the aerator can go to the bottom of the pond to make sure you're circulating and getting lots of oxygen into the pond and, and like you said, still releasing gases um, during that time of year. Ammonia, which can build up in ponds, is released as a gas. So and meth when you're and methane the surface, as well. Yeah, methane gas exactly. as well. So, yes, so it's a great way to degas your pond. Um, and it's an, it, they're pretty inexpensive to run. So it's a great piece of equipment to have especially if you don't have a skimmer on your pond. There's, there's a lot of people that may have various types of um, systems, and some of them may not include skimmers. So I would really highly recommend having an aerator in there just to give you at least some gentle circulation 
uh, you're going to be de-icing your pond. You're going to be degassing your pond. It doesn't cost that much to run. And um, like you were suggesting, too, you don't want it in the deepest area of the pond. You want it, uh, if you have shelves, maybe on the top shelf or about mid-depth of your pond, depending on what the, the depth of your pond is. Now, what is a, like aerators as, as a piece of equipment, what does a good aerator tend to cost? For people who are, who are listening to this and they don't have aerators, what can they look at expecting to as a purchase cost for an aerator? Well, I think aerators uh, can vary uh, in cost, but I think you can get a decent aerator someplace for around uh, 85 to $120. Um, you can get a good aerator. A lot of them have, um, you know, the more expensive ones are going to be um, uh, have more ports that you can attach uh, tubes to that you can run aeration to different areas in the pond. Um, yeah. But um, they're not very expensive. And neither are the heaters. The heaters can be, you know, pretty similar, even less expensive um, for you. And they really don't draw a whole lot of uh, of amperage. Uh, so yeah, um, yeah. It, it's not like your pump. It's not like your pump running, Mike. You know your pump is going to yeah. run. You know, cost more to run than than these two items, and these two right. items are just as important, if not more important, for the winter months than a pump. Yeah, and um, I want to let people know too that when you're looking at an aerator, make sure it's it's for the outdoors. Don't. Don't pull an aerator off your aquarium or you have an old aerator, you know, air pump in your basement. Make sure you're getting a pond aerator that's going to be strong enough to aerate your pond, de-ice your pond, circulate, and it's built to be outdoors. Because after a good rainstorm or, or a freezing night, the uh, aerators that are meant for the aquarium industry are not going to do the job. I see a lot of people trying to substitute uh, aquarium equipment for pond equipment, even though they're very close cousins. Um, you don't want to mix those up. Now, we're, the de-icer, you're saying that a de-icer, um, which, to clarify, too, is not a heater um, by any means. They, de-icers don't actually heat ponds. A lot of people tend to refer to them as heaters, um, and they really don't do that. But they do keep your pond, uh, keep at least a, an area of your pond from completely freezing over. And you suggest keeping the de-icer close to the skimmer if you have a skimmer. Uh, which is a great location for that. Right. Um, you know, de-icers uh, are floating devices. Uh, they're going to be, you know, some are as high as 1,250-watt uh, uh, heaters. Uh, others can be much, much less in, in, in uh, wattage. Um, but they're usually both a floating device, and they're just going to be able to keep a vent hole open in the ice to release the gases. Uh, from underneath yeah. the ice. Even the smallest of holes will suffice. So um, cutting or chopping is so funny. I remember some some video where you were chopping through the ice at one point. Do you remember that? Some video yeah. back when? Yeah, and yeah. that must have been a, a stressful situation that you needed to get that hole opened up. Um, uh, I'm not sure exactly when that was, but I know that that was a source of uh, stress for you that you had to do that to make sure that you got that hole open because you really, if you don't get those harmful gases removed uh, that are caused by fish waste and plant decay, um, wow, they can become deadly to your fish. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
uh, especially once you get everything iced over with snow and all that coverage, it, it really can turn um, into a, a terrible situation, which mm-hmm. which is why we want to be prepared, which is why we're, we're talking about this stuff so people have good info and they're prepared for the winter so you don't wake up one morning and find out that you have no access to your pond and, you know, your your beloved fish and koi are, are suffering or possibly even dying underneath there. So the de-icer and aerator are two critical pieces of equipment to definitely use for the, the um, wintertime. And it's funny, de-icers is just it's technology that we stole from the livestock industry. It's the same thing that they use to keep water troughs open for horses exactly. and cattle and sheep. Yeah, exactly. Cool. They go back a long way, and they, you know, they can be as little as 120 watt, you know, all the way up even higher than the, you know, 1,250 watt that we use for ponds sometimes too. Yeah, and the, those those 1,200, 1,250 watt de I mean, they they actually can keep a very big area of water open, you know, within a pond. I I use a lot of the 300 watt. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that seems to be a pretty good um, power to use for general applications. I mean, there there are times that you need something bigger. There may be times you need something smaller, but 300 watts really seems to be a good all-purpose um, de-icer. So those, hey, those are very good to have. You don't need anything higher than that. Again, even the smallest of holes will suffice and do the job. Yep. Now, when you are doing the winter prep services for your clients, are you plugging in the de-icer at that time, or do you just stage it? When is the best time to actually plug it in and and get it going? Well, I usually bring it out for the client, and I leave it near the power source. And um, usually uh, they'll get an email saying, okay, reminder, uh, go ahead and put that in, plug it in now. Uh, Some of them are temperature-sensitive, uh, and those ones that are usually, I think it's about 37 degrees that they turn on, um, and some aren't. It all depends on the um, ones that you have, the deicers that you have. But uh, um, I try to make uh, as least of uh, a job for the clients as possible, so I'll put things out there for them. But we will put the aerators up to the level and have them going because, you know, aeration in the pond is good all year long. Uh, we'll just oh, yeah. move them up into the upper shelves. But the de-icer will just sit there until uh, they get that email saying, okay, go ahead and pop them in. I should start doing that, Tom. i got to start emailing people that information. <laughs> hey, you learn something new every day. Um, I'm usually telling uh, my customers we, we like to just have everything staged because, you know, this time you, you really don't need your de-icer running especially if you have a more powerful one because they can get a little expensive. As a general rule, I just tell my customers, you know, that that first day that you go out and you see that really thin layer of ice on your pond, that's when it's time to just plug in that de-icer because winter can happen in a heartbeat and, you know, you may have a thin layer of ice one day and and two days later you could have an inch of ice on your pond. So that's that's a good time to plug those things in. Um, How much does a... a de-icer cost? Um, a de-icer, you know, I think a de-icer, depending on how many watts that you're getting a de-icer, but, uh, again, you can get a de-icer for as little as, you know, like a 125-watt de-icer. You could get a de-icer for as little as $40. Uh, 
and then you okay. could get you know one that's um you know eighty five ninety dollars as well so um yeah. you can find them you know somewhere between those two ranges um, and some some ponds you want more than one on oh yeah, absolutely, depending on the size of the pond um I would never rely if it's a larger pond, I wouldn't want to rely on just one deicer. So, you know, you could we could probably even come up with a certain square footage of ponds. You know, you want to have a de-icer per X amount of square feet, but that really is going to depend on the power. Because like you said, some are 1,200 watts, some are a heck of a lot less. So it's, it really depends on what we have going on. I actually use a de-icer in my pondless water features that stay open for the winter. Uh, it's just a sense of security, and last year they were a necessity to be able to oh, yeah. keep. Oh, absolutely. So in one feature alone, I had one at the upper um, upper reverse wetlands and one down at the wetlands area that um, I put one in each side so just to make sure that the water temperature was just enough high enough that it wasn't going to freeze, and it worked well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, um, they are not just great for ponds, but also if you're going to run your pondless waterfall, uh, they should be, you know, purely great for that as well. Right. So once everybody, you know, you're, you're doing your, your winter prep, you got all your equipment taken care of, you're, you got stuff disconnected, put away, cleaned up, dried out. Um, now let's talk about the, the ponds, like the, the plants which we, we touched on before, um, plants need to be prepared for wintertime as well. And a big part of that, the reason that we're doing that is what you had mentioned. You don't want a lot of organic debris building up in the pond. And pretty typically um, after the first frost, aquatic plants, they'll start dying off and you don't want them um, decaying in your pond and raising up nutrient levels. So when it comes to dealing with plants, um, let's talk talk about tropicals real quick. Um, what do you do with most of the tropical plants in your client's ponds uh, when you're winterizing it? Well, unless my client has a greenhouse, uh, which most do not, but I have two that actually do, um, well, those tropicals are purely treated as an annual, and they are removed and they're done for the season. Um, if they have a greenhouse, then um, they can go in their greenhouse and be kind of kept alive. They're not going to thrive there um, because unless your greenhouse is totally heated, uh, they will perish. But uh, you can have them survive. But the funny thing is they really never come back as strong as when you pick one up at a uh at a uh, water garden shop, uh, you're never really going to get that same bloom that year for some reason. It just doesn't seem to do as good. So tropicals, we really treat like annuals, and they come out, and we're in most cases they're um, they're discarded. Yeah, and that's that's pretty much my approach as well. Any of the the floating tropicals like water hyacinth, water lettuce, those are just they're just thrown out or they're composted. They actually make really good compost. Mm -hmm. um, so we would compost those. You don't want to leave those in there at all because after the first freeze, they wilt, they sink, they rot. So those are really important to get your, your floating plants out of there. Um, 
some of the other tropicals, let's say canna and taro. Um, first of all, don't ever try to eat taro. Did you see that posting by Dan Put, one of his guys? <laughs> so I saw I saw ate, that ate a piece I of taro. <laughs> I, I saw that, and I called yeah. my wife over to look at the picture of the lips that were blown up so large, and I said, "Look," and she said, "Oh my gosh." This is just something that similarly happened to our daughter, where she had bitten in on a uh, green Granny Smith apple, and whatever the uh, ethylene that was used to kind of make that apple become ripe on its trip from south to north, that amount of ethylene made her lips blow up even more than what you saw in that picture. Wow. So, Yeah. Yeah. It was terrifying, actually, uh, hideous-looking. Yeah. But, yes, um, I saw that. That was quite interesting and a sense of amusement for us, actually. Yeah, but I think it's really important advice when you're winterizing your pond, do not eat your tropical plants. Just throw them out. Just, just get rid don't of eat, them. Don't eat anything. <laughs> you can eat your fish, exactly. but don't eat them. Yeah. That's the most important advice we can give all night. Don't eat your tropical plants. But, but uh, the, bottom, cool, the bottom line, the bottom line, Mike, again with the uh, the plant material is simple. You know, you take your tropicals and you can compost them, whatever. You know, that's fine. Uh, tropicals aren't going to really come back to you. Uh, they're not going to be something that you're going to be sinking to the bottom. I don't treat um, uh, things that come back uh, as a tropical. Um, you know, so anything that's going to come back, your water lilies um, <clears throat> that are hardy are going to be sunk down to the bottom. Um, you want to keep them as low as possible. Um, and um, uh, everything else that is or that's going to decay really should be removed from the pond uh, because yeah. the least amount of organic matter that you have, the better off your fish are going to be coming uh, coming out of this coming into the spring. So reduce right. the amount of organic matter. That's and that again is something that starts now, not in the dead of winter. You do that now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just cut to the chase and and get the plants uh, cut back or thrown out. Um, some of the try, you know, can, taro and canna. Those could be used as a house plant if somebody really, really wants to try to save them. But otherwise, just throw them out. And then, um, you know, we typically. For the lilies, we pinch them back to the crown of the plants. If there's any right. new leaf growth underwater, uh, we don't touch that. So any of that new growth that still is submerged, we're put it this way, we're only pinching back the stuff that has already come to the surface mm-hmm. or that is you know, just below the surface and spent any other growth. We just let it be uh, because it'll, it'll actually hang out during the wintertime and spring it'll be off and running again um now with the marginals and stuff do you because i think there's two ways to approach it do you sink your marginals down in the water or do you just leave them where they are no i just leave them where they are if they're if they're you know within six inches of the top um they're pretty hardy they're pretty hardy i just you know cut back the uh marginals that uh, obviously you can see that they're ready to cut back it's it's almost like you treat a hosta where you know when it's done it it, it starts to get fleshy and weak and you just cut cut it back 
and they're hardy enough right. that they'll come back. So I don't remove the marginals from their uh, from their areas uh, around the edge of the the pond. Uh, um, it's it's really you know again with the water lilies, I just don't want the crowns to freeze. So you know right. I just keep them down so that the crowns don't freeze. And um, yeah. And otherwise, again, I I just think, um, you know, uh, remove as much of that fleshy growth as possible. Get all the leaves out of the pond that you possibly can get out. Some people actually put nets and keep the nets over the pond in the winter. I don't. I do in the fall. But I do in the fall because it's for me it's a a great sense of not having to do so much work coming into the winter months. Um, But. But I think, you know, I have clients that actually we keep their, um, you know, two clients actually keep their pond netted all winter long. And um, yeah. just, it just helps out with the amount of debris that they don't have to deal with in the spring. Right. There's some strategies to keep keeping it on. And, of course, mm-hmm. you want the plant, plants cut back prior to that. Now, my, my habit when cutting back marginals is usually to leave about four inches above the water, mm-hmm. um, you know, for canna, iris, stuff like that. Um, and like we just talked about, we don't submerge the plants at all. I know that there's there's people out there who do. They they have a practice of taking, you know, their beautiful marginal plants that are thriving, their pickerel and their iris or whatever they, it is, and then they put them on the bottom of the pond. And I think that's a mistake. I think you're actually subjecting your plant to a very stressful uh, condition. You're basically flooding the plant. You're putting it into a state of flooding during the winter. And these plants can take flood conditions. They can take dry conditions. That's why they're marginal. They're used to having a little more or less water, and they're they're hardy. I mean, they're they're pretty bulletproof. So if anybody is out there and you're taking plants and sinking them to the bottom, don't do that. If your plants are doing well where they're located, they're happy, and they're growing during the season, like Tom is suggesting, just cut them on back down to just above the crown of the plant, and they'll do just fine during the winter. They can handle those freezing conditions, um, have good trust in those marginal plants because they're just kind of genetically programmed to deal with freezing weather and dry conditions. Some some ponds, I don't use a lot of it. Some ponds use, um, some pond keepers use submerged weeds like Anacharis, Elodia in their ponds. Um, what do you recommend as far as how to deal with some of the, and I don't mean lilies, but the submerged weed type of plants that people sometimes introduce into their ponds? How, what, do you, what about for winter on those plants? Well, you, know, you got me on that one because I really don't have any applications of that. Yeah. I see people will, will kind of, I don't use them, I don't introduce them myself because they are truly weeds and they're going to take over your pond at some point. So for those people who are using uh, the aerators, anacris, hornwort, coontail, stuff like that, my suggestion is to heavily thin those out or even remove them because they're inexpensive plants to replace. So if you're in the habit of using those, take them out because they will die um, and they're going to, I mean, they they may come back in the spring, but they're going to die off. They usually get pretty abundant, so you're going to lose quite a bit of them. Um, And they are really a a good way to drive up nutrients. So if you can get rid of those, pull those suckers out, and just get new ones during the springtime, and I think that's a great way to deal with submerged plants. And uh, 
this time of year is not really a time of year to do any fertilizing for the plants either. You don't recommend using any sort of fertilizer this time of year in hopes that in the springtime they're going to grow like bananas, right? You know, this isn't turf grass. You're not giving a winter fertilizer for early green spring, you know, green up. That's yep. that's not, uh, we're not doing that here. Um, these plants are going into dormancy. Uh, they should be if they're if they're in the pots. They should be well root bound at that point. If they're if they're creeping out of the pots and they're into your gravel, they should be pretty root bound as well, going through the gravel. Uh, they should be fine for the winter. Um, can they freeze? Yeah, if we have a really tough winter, uh, some plants will get some freezing and and uh, not come back, and some will partially come back. But this isn't some. I think fertilizing your plants at this time of year is purely a waste of money. I agree. So we're we're walking through the process. We got our equipment taken care of. We got our plants all cut back and taken care of and prepped for the winter. And now it comes time to um, net the pond. And you were talking about netting ponds just a moment ago. What are the benefits of netting a pond this time of year? What what are some of the things that people who don't net their ponds what should they consider and why do you recommend it? I recommend it uh, if you want less work coming into the spring. You're going to have a lot less debris to clean out uh, because it's going to be sitting on the top of your net. Um, it's something that um, you know when you're not when you don't have a lot of ice buildup or snow on the net, and you have um, material there that you can you know on a winter day come and blow it off or rake it off. Um, you know, it, it, for for me, it also is. A, a plus and a negative because I think it also detracts from the beauty of a pond um, when you don't have the snow and ice over it. Um, anything to me that's not natural uh, takes away from the pond. Um, so for my own home, I do not net. Um, once we're done with all the leaves here, which which should be, oh, maybe in a couple more weeks here, we should be all done, um, and we'll blow off around the pond. Uh, any of the leaves that come into the pond for the winter at that point is purely uh, a case of going out there and doing a little bit of winter maintenance, uh, trying to fish out any of the leaves. But uh, people, some people just don't want that, you know, extra maintenance, and they'll go ahead and, and put a net over the pond for the winter, um, which is fine. Just it's not my preferred method here at my own home. The netting greatly reduces your maintenance this time of year while leaves are really, really coming down? Because you can have days where if you have a skimming system, you may have to clean your skimmer three times a day, you know, because the leaves just come down in such quantity. So netting can really, really reduce maintenance quite a bit. So that is, is definitely a benefit I think everybody should, should consider. When we're talking about netting, what type of netting do you recommend? Because netting may mean different things to different people. What type of netting do you recommend? Well, it can't be a very thin netting. It has to be something that can be stretched and can be take some weight um, on there. Um, you know, pond netting is um, oh can be thick, like uh, not quarter inch, but probably three three eighths inch netting um, can be used. Um, it's um, you know, a lot of the netting that is used now is kind of like a multi-purpose netting. Um, 
it's it's a rolled netting. It comes it's convenient uh, to to install. It's easy to install. Um, but it, it, you know, a lot of these packages, netting packages, come with stakes, and uh, it's reusable. Uh, it's yeah. it's like a it's like a woven poly uh, material that's resistant to tearing. That type of netting, um, and it, it usually should last for a number of years. Um, and some ne- some netting, of course, is thicker than others and will last a lot longer. But um, you know, your typical pond netting is um, something that we just give our uh, size of the ponds to our distributors, and we tell them whether we want you know something that's 14 by 20 or 28 by 30 or there's you know all different size. There's stock sizes, and then you can have them custom cut. So um, right. it really just depends, but. Um, it is, without a doubt, one of the ways that you can reduce greatly the amount of work that you need to do going into the winter. And we, we actually have had our, our nets up for a month now, quite almost a month. Wow. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So you're, you're prepared. And it is. It's, it's, as far as preparing for a successful winter season, um, netting is this time of year is really important. I use, um, you know, same thing. I, I use a heavy-duty net that can be used. I usually get two to three years out of the netting that we use for our customers. Um, it's got to be able to stretch tight. Many years ago, I used to get economy netting, um, which is also sometimes just called bird netting or generic leaf netting, and it just breaks and tears, you mm-hmm. know, it's, mm-hmm way too easily. You get a few leaves on there and a rainstorm and boom, the thing is just ripped apart because it can't handle any weight at all. So the netting we have that that I'm using is, is a quarter inch gauge. So, you know, fish food can still get through there if you're feeding your fish, but leaves and stuff like that, even um, acorns, unless they're really small, cannot get through, um, mm-hmm. which is really nice. You Now, what's your method of installing netting? Because I see people doing all sorts of stuff from stretching it tight to using poles to creating canopies and tents. And, I mean, some people, my gosh, they, they build houses over their ponds <laughs> for the winter season. Yeah, I've seen some doozies. Well, to me, less oh, is better. The, the least visible is the best for me. I'm, I'm fine with even having the netting be slightly suspended over the water's edge um, and, and kept taut as possible as it possibly, you know, could be. Um, most of the netting we use is like half inch by half inch openings. So, um, you know, the whole size is, um, not going to let the leaves in, but yet we can still, you know, feed, uh, fish, uh, feed the fish, as you were saying. Um, uh, I, I just think that the, the, to keep the netting as close to the water's edge is, is fine for me. Some people do that pole deals and make that tent, and um, I don't know, you know. Yeah. It's it's not so pleasing to have something that in nature that looks man-made, and that looks so man-made to me that if the lower it is, and it's taut uh, to the pond, uh, you know, just above the water's edge is probably the best for 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 our applications anyway. Yeah, I'm with you. I would say 90% of the ponds that, that we deal with for doing winter preparations, we use the stretch tight 
method. Um, we just take it, we stretch it around the, the pond, we staple it into, you know, into the ground, or we use rocks to kind of weigh it down and keep it in place. Um, we do a couple of ponds where we're doing poles, you know, PVC poles and pipes and all this kind of stuff, but it, it really is, like you're saying, not too pleasant to look at. Um, it's not really that much of a benefit to go through that extra trouble of, of tenting it and all that kind of stuff because, you know, a lot of times the, the PVC pipes just bend and, you know, you, you just kind of have a mess on your hands after that. So I, I like what you recommend with the straight, you know, stretch your netting real tight. It looks good. It's functional. And um, it's easy to deal with when it comes to taking it off and putting it up. It's just it's a little less work to do on your pond. Um, so less less um, is yeah. better. To me, less, less is, is better. better. <laughs> yes, no doubt. Now, what about our fish? I mean, that that's what this is all about: ponds and and having fish. And uh, you know, some people may think that they have have ponds and they have to move their fish indoors. Some people may have to. I mean, depending on your pond, you may have to move your fish indoors. Not the way we build ponds. The fish can stay out all year round. Um, what are some of the things that you recommend to prepare your fish for the wintertime? Well, i got to take you back to your last show because you stressed what I think is the most important factor of all, and that is when, before the temperatures get too low, start fattening up your fish you know they're going to be without they're going to be without their staple um diet you know they're going to miss that feeding that they were having on a daily basis uh for you know seven months out of the year or eight months depending on where you live and they're going to be starting to go into hibernation uh and you really need to give them everything you can uh, for them to make it through this through the winter, and so by uh, feeding them a little bit more, fattening them up for the winter, is a great thing to do. Yeah, I agree. What what they're eating now is what they're going to burn during the winter time. During the rest of the season, when it's you know the height of the season, May, June, July, um, August, all those those times of year that. The feedings that we're giving are are basically just maintenance feedings because the fish are kind of metabolizing everything that they're eating at such a high rate because of water temperatures and their activity levels are really, really high. So, I mean, for me, I almost start the the winter prep for my fish towards the end of August. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. that's when I start mentally saying, you know what, winter's right around the corner. It's time to kind of power feed these guys. And uh, I'll let them, you know, late August through the rest of the season until they stop eating, until they, they tell me I'm done, I don't want any more, um, or the temperatures dictate that. I feed them as much as they want to eat and let them eat and let them eat. It also is a great way to get out by your pond and enjoy the tail end of the season. You know, it's, um, you, know you, you want to enjoy your pond too. No, exactly, exactly. Uh, and again, something that you just mentioned, your fish will tell you when they are slowing down. Um, and if you see a lot of your food in the skimmer, um, you're feeding too much. So, I, you know, it's that five-minute rule. Feed your fish what they can eat in five minutes. If you have yeah. a lot of excess food, and it, then they don't need that food. And it will get less and right. less. It will get less and less as the temperatures drop. 
So, yeah. uh, but again, I think still before the temperatures drop, that whole premise of fattening them up, uh, I think is great. And we don't need to build any treadmill for our fish, by the way. Oh, my fish are very well exercised, I have to say. <laughs> and uh, you're not going to no... make out any wheat pasta recipes, are you? <laughs> no, I actually thought that was quite quite amusing. And uh, I went out and fed pasta to the fish, and the pasta just sank to the bottom. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, it's a certain and... type of pasta. I, I, you know, I, I think they like rigatoni. If you're not giving them the rigatoni, hey. Well, mine was angel hair, angel hair pasta, and I just watched it float to the bottom. I said, "Okay, well, if they eat it, I'm not going to know about it anymore." So, yeah. <laughs> but again, um, so not that, so not again that with we're, your fish. We're recommending that. What's that now? I said, not that we're recommending giving your fish pasta. <laughs> no, but you know, um, hey, whatever works. Um, um, you know, you're really looking to do uh, at this time of year. You really want a wheat germ based food uh because you know they can't really once your temperatures get you know below 55 you know 60 to 50 they don't digest proteins very well so using kind of a wheat germed based uh which has more carbs and protein uh is something that they handle better and then really a lot you know this number floats around a bit some people say it's 55 degrees some people say it's 50 Definitely by 45 degrees, you should not be feeding your fish. And if you have done your job, if you've, if your pond is clean and you're not worried about the amount of organic debris in the pond, you know, your fish are going to live the winter fine. They're going to be right. good. And whether yep. you can see them or not, um, I think you can be rest assured that if you've done your job in the fall, winter, you know, beginning of the winter to keep your pond clean, prep it for winter, do all these things that we've just spent this time talking about, um, you really can be assured that your fish are going to come out having a, uh, into the spring and they're going to be, you know, uh, abundant. They're going to be fine. Um, right. So, you know, doing those is. things, yeah, I mean, a lot of people stress out, uh, winter's coming, you know, I wonder if the fish are going to make it, you know. Oh, I can't tell you how often I hear that. I wonder how the fish are going to do. Well, yeah. Co- yeah. coming out of last year, um, I saw the least amount of fish die off in any of the years. So, you know, and that was our worst winter that I've seen. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, if you that. do your if you do your job right... If you do your, if you prep your pond and your clients' ponds, and you make everything the way that you feel is done correctly, you can go to sleep for the winter knowing your fish are going to be great, and they'll come out fine. Right. Exactly. If they follow the simple guidelines that we just kind of discussed, they're going to have a successful winter, which means they're going to have a successful spring. And, um, Tom, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this information with the listeners. I mean, it's, it's a really important time of year. This is a critical season uh, to kind of know what you're doing and to prep your pond. And I think the guidelines you laid out were, were awesome. And, um, again, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your time and uh, your information, and, and I hope you'll come on again sometime. Mike, always my pleasure. Uh, you're a great CAC mentor for all of us, so thank you. 
Oh, thank you so much. All right, Tom. Well, listen, have a great night, and uh, I hope the rest of the season goes well for you. I hope uh, you get a little more golf in as well, and I will be catching up with you soon. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Okay. Okay, take care. Have a good evening. That was Tom Deke, everybody, from TRD Designs. Tom is a certified aquascape contractor. He's a POM professional and owner of TRD. His website is trddesigns.com. You can catch him on Facebook, too, at facebook.com slash trddesigns. And uh, if you want to check out some of his projects on video, you can go to youtube.com slash trddesigns. And uh, TRD Designs is a full-service landscape company operating out of Katona, New York. They offer landscape and water feature design and installation, outdoor lighting, green solutions, and even project management. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for your time and your expertise and sharing some great advice for a successful pond season for the listeners of the Pond Hunter Radio broadcast. And thank you to Chris Ostrander, too, for his Pond Stars season wrap-up. Chris's company is Living Water uh, Landscape out of Battle Creek, Michigan. And you can visit his website, which is lwls.net. It's a newly redesigned website. It's really nice. Go check it out, everybody, and say hi to Chris. Uh, He is also a certified aquascape contractor, and his company installs and services koi ponds, water gardens, and water features. You can visit him on Facebook at facebook.com slash livingwaterlandscape. Say hi. Tell him the pond hunter sent you. And thank you guys for coming on tonight. You know, so utilizing the tips that we discovered will really help pond keepers have a successful winter season. Pond keepers will be enjoying their ponds during the winter instead of dealing with issues and problems because they were not fully prepared for the winter months. And now you got no excuse because you got the information. Preparing your pond for the winter instead of reacting to winter is a good move. And that will make the winter months more of a time to enjoy the natural and dynamic beauty of your pond uh, during the the winter months. And you also get to enjoy that amazingly clear water. The pond lighting during the winter is amazing. Fish behavior is interesting to check out while they're in their state of torpor. Go check out fish during the wintertime, too. They may not be active, but it doesn't mean that it's not interesting behavior. Um, And winter is also a great time to check out other wildlife that utilizes your pond. The focus comes off the fish a little bit, and all of a sudden you're going to notice that there's songbirds, small animals, woodland creatures, even some large animals. I I saw a big, huge deer drinking out of my pond, and even like fox and stuff like that. There may be bear where you are. I don't know. But your pond is more of a critical lifeline to the local wildlife than you may be aware of, and winter is a great time to see all of that on display. So preparing your pond now makes the fall a lot nicer, and um, you get to enjoy everything. And uh, I've been having a great fall season by my pond. We've had a couple parties. I've had professional meetings around the pond. I had a just recently a family celebration, even a few nights of just hanging out with my wife, having a bottle of wine, listening to music by the pond. It's a great time of year to be living the water garden lifestyle. So I hope all of you are getting out there too. And if you're not, come on, man, make it happen. Come on. Um, this is a time of year to be diligent. Remember, everybody, be diligent in your feeding practices. You don't got that much more time to feed your fish. Get your de-icers and your aerators staged. Net your pond to reduce your maintenance. And um, please tune in to the Pond Hunter Radio broadcast for some of our upcoming shows. We have the Fountaineer coming up on the next episode. 
Russ Sinner is a world-class fountain and water feature designer, and he will be here talking about water features. And I have Kelly Billing coming up, too. She'll be up on November 19th. She's an aquatic plant expert and author of a couple of books, like About the Lotus and the Water Gardening Bible, I think it's called. I hope I got that right. Kelly's going to have a ton of information on water gardening and aquatic plant care. And I would love to hear you guys. Visit me at blogtalkradio.com slash thepondhunter. Give me it, and you can visit me on Twitter, Facebook. Please give me a follow. I'd really love to hear from you guys. I'm Mike Gannon, your host, pond professional and owner of Full Service Aquatics, which is an award-winning pond and water garden design installation and service company. We're based out of Summit, New Jersey. Thank you all so much. I'm going to leave you guys with a tune tonight. Take care, everybody. And the only